Hello, friends, and welcome to the first episode of Needlessly Nostalgic. I am one of your hosts, Tyler Nichols, and I've got my other host, Lance Valchak here. Lance, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Tyler. Uh, it's good to be back, man. How you been? I am wonderful. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Lance and I used to dabble in some podcasting before, but this is us really diving into it full bore and being able to do just audio because I think the audio that's like when I think of a podcast, I think of just audio. I know that video podcasts have become such a thing these days, but there's something comforting about just the audio only versions. I, I, I always think that the, the video versions are just essentially mini talk shows uh, done in, in different spaces. But the podcast reminds me of um, back where I grew up, we had 97 won the drive. And so they played music and all the stuff. But in between that, I always like, tell these stories. It's like, you know, in, in 1966, John Forward, he went to the Supreme court and it's like, it's just, it's like radio <laughs> and it's soothing and it's better. Um, I yeah. love video, but I, I do agree. If I'm like, I like this stuff when I'm driving, when I'm, I'm doing long projects. So I, I have uh, an affinity for some good old fashioned audio podcasting and uh, I'm happy to be doing it with you, man. Yeah, we always have a lot of fun when we whenever we get to talk about movies. And that's the main the main point of this. We just want to be able to talk movies because just I don't know, we both love movies and getting able to being able to discuss them is just a really fun thing to do, especially when you are able to do what we're doing, which is going through different franchises and getting to revisit them. And exactly. I'm exactly. I'm super pumped for the fact that this our first franchise is the uh, the mama's boy himself, Mr. Jason Voorhees, because I love this series and I think that it's going to be very, very interesting to go through because for those just to give you guys a little like brief overview, we're going to do a new episode every week. And then at the end, once we go through the entire franchise, we will then do like an overview where we rank the rank the series and just kind of discuss about the whole discuss the whole series overall so that for something like friday the 13th that will be occurring in about three months so <laughs> no dude, I, i'm i'm excited this is uh, i obviously uh, people are listening they can't see but i worked at a little independent movie theater in high school and it was when freddy vs jason came out and so i remember to my i, was, I talked to my boss and i was like can i have a, a banner and he's like oh you you want freddy and i said like, no I want Jason. So I have this 10 foot obnoxious half of the Freddy vs. Jason banner in my room uh, because I love this. Uh, I, I always called him the R rated Power Ranger. I will always be on Jason's side. He's like the, the hero, you know, not the hero we deserve. Or was it the it's not the hero we want, but the hero we deserve. Right. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't isn't that from like Spider Man or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a real like uh, optimistic little uh, speech. It's like, yeah, it makes you feel good. But I, like, let's use it for you know the the teen murdering uh, psychopath <laughs> in the woods. I think that works pretty well. And I I think the thing that I'm most excited about going on like and talking about these this first half of films is that. Unless I'm mistaken, I think you d are not as big of a fan of them, so it should be fun to a little bit of a back and forth here. 
Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I This is going to be a, this has been a terrible day for me already because we're talking about literally my one of my least favorite movies. But I, I will say this. I have softened over the years and though I, I am definitely a, a later half entry guy because I want my, you know, superhuman power ranger murdering people and this is different. But let's let's dig in because we've never discussed um, any of these early films, at least, I believe, uh, online or in person. So. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So, yeah, let's get into it for, for uh, today's subject is Friday the 13th from 1980. Now, this is directed by Sean S. Cunningham, written by Victor Miller and Ron Kurz and stars Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Kevin Bacon, a bunch of people. So, yeah, this is uh, this is a movie that I saw for the first time as a teenager. It was my first annual Halloween party in sixth grade and this movie was i think the only film that we were able to watch uncut the other ones that we watched were all taped off of tv because Uh, my dad was like nope you can't watch the original halloween for some reason (laughs) but friday the 13th is acceptable (laughs) which is uh, you know a few steps worse for a kid theoretically yeah it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because i would say that yeah the halloween has next to no violence there's the one tit shot that isn't even in all of the releases based on uh, aspect ratio and compared to friday the 13th where it's got tom savini gore effects and definitely a full-on sex scene with kevin bacon and was it marcy so yes exactly exactly there's way more sex in this like uh, every uh, they're all hornier which makes sense because that's i think uh uh, a big part of the DNA of Friday the 13th is horniness. Yes, absolutely. Well, and one thing that I tried to do with this one was because I'm, I'm similar to you and having a bit more of a negative feeling towards this original film. So I kind of tried to, for this viewing, just get rid of all those preconceived notions about the series and just watch it as a singular movie. Like this is try to put my mind in the headspace okay. of someone in 1980 that doesn't doesn't know all the slasher boom. It's like we only know of like Halloween and rant. We're not fully in the midst of the crazy slasher boom. So I tried. I tried that. So I should state that right out from the jump. OK, I mean, I. I. uh my opinion hasn't changed if I'm being real honest, um, <laughs> but I, I'm more. Okay. I'm just going to jump in as a singular movie. Even that is hard for me to sort of wrap my head around because even if I take it out of Jason, it's hard for me to take this out of other slashers. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I would say that this is one of them. That's one of the early ones one of the beginning ones. And I think a lot of um, its credit should be there. That being said, in this point in life, most of this movie to me is more just me being like, well, hey, yes, some people made a movie and, um, <laughs> you know, they, they did a good job and it started something. But I, I think the kills are, are, are boring. It's it's overly talky. I'm um, again, it's all the stuff that is honestly tied to the fact that that I'm, you know, nearing my 40s and I've seen so many slashers that. This one doesn't have a nostalgic pull for me, so I, I, I'm just a, a sort of um, clinical level. I'm n- I'm just not as entertained, 
as much as I can appreciate the the things it's setting up and, and its importance in the subgenre. Well, let's move through the movie, like, you know, beginning to end. I think that that's a fun way to do it because then it allows people that haven't seen the movie. They just want to see us talk about it. Kind of. What? They get to experience it themselves. So I, I will say right now, I love the tone of the opening. I think that they do a good job with like, I love the yellow shirts on everyone on like the uh, camp or the counselors, I should say. And it just has a it has a feeling of of summer camp, which I do really enjoy. But I also think that this scene highlights one of the biggest issues, and that is that Sean Cunningham can't direct like at all. We are seeing every single piece of usable celluloid like editing hardly exists here. So it's like we're seeing, oh, this this couple, they're like all horny and want to leave. We're going to see them as a wide shot. Get up and leave. (laughs) Yeah, get up, make that decision. And we're going to follow them as they walk over. There's a lot of stuff like like play, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's um, gets out of control. It's funny because I, I that's something that I think I've subconsciously noticed. But when you, you point out like that, it's like you're right. I always thought it just has that sort of DIY POV feel where it's like, yeah, but you're right, though, even when it, it isn't in, in the um, you know, uh, point of view of Mrs. Voorhees, it is just these generic ass wides and characters <laughs> getting up, walking down, uh, you know, climbing down the stairs, opening the doors. <laughs> what are it we it gets ridiculous. Well, and even to the reactions of the kids that are being murdered, it's more of like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't believe you did that. Oh, gee, gee, Willikers. <laughs> like, even the the girl, she very clearly just got the direction of just you're scared of the camera. You're throwing, you know, you're throwing stuff in its way because she is just flailing about without any. There's no actual end goal other than for her to be murdered. She's well, not because. No, no, sorry, but I was going to say, if you look at it, because I'm watching the scene as we're talking and she is hiding behind these boxes, but then runs in front of it to the camera, which is so speed Miss Voorhees, <laughs> then back behind it. It's like, what? stay out of it. What are you doing? It's, like, stay by the box. That's your only barrier between the killer. But she keeps running in front of it. Like, but again, because you're right. It's like, hey, we're be scared. We're just gonna move it. It was. It's almost like a a practice in acting. Only he recorded it and then put it in the final cut. Yeah, this a lot of the. I mean, you said the stage play, and it now makes me think. Like, oh yeah, Friday the Thirteenth could 100 percent be done as a stage play. I mean, you have a lot more difficulty in terms of hiding the killer but you can do a lot of fun stuff with like someone just being off camera like with their hand just being or off stage with their hand just coming out of like the side of the curtain there's a lot of fun stuff they could do they've made uh, misery and evil dead into uh, stage plays like this is what they need to be doing this is tailor made for it dude you're 100 percent correct i'm just thinking i think i would love this movie more if it was a keep the same movie but make it a rock opera that's what this needs. This needs to have that little um, like repo or Jesus Christ superstar. Just a little bit of that sort of heart and soul. I would be more into it if they were you know, belting back and forth. I think that's that's where we land on this, actually. That is hilarious because, I mean, I could if any other film in the series, I'd be like, come on, you're letting your love for rock opera blind you. 
But here I'm like, yeah, no, this totally works. I could totally see that being a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give it to me, man. Give it to me. And as much as this is, we always talk about like Tom Savini's effects and everything. One thing I do think they do a good job with in this is they don't show anything really in the opening kill. I think. No, no, just a wound, right? Yeah, it's just him holding and then the girl, it just freezes on her face. So it's like, I like that because I think there is, it's kind of the Jaws mindset of less is more where it's like, no, I think you need to ramp up. If you go too crazy at the beginning, then there's no place to build up to. So I do like that decision. I think I did not like it as a kid because I'm like, what the heck? I want more violence. What the heck? But I think it works well. No, that, you're, uh, you're, you're correct, because you think about it, when this came out, that probably was still pretty intense, even for showing nothing. And that is something that we just won't comprehend, you know, because I'm with you. That's my big complaint a lot. Um, and even if I could appreciate what you're saying, I'm like, ah, you know, I, I want it to go to go harder. But you're right, though. This is kind of a mix of uh, a thriller uh, and a slasher, because it is a lot of stalking and and things are supposed to make us, you know, scared and creeped out mm-hmm. well and the uh i'd love the smash like smash cuts right to the credits which is when we get like the harry manfredini score and i think that that is the that's the highlight of this film that's the the mvp harry manfredini and the score it hits so hard and this credit sequence is so basic it's literally just like white text on black. Yeah, like yeah, aerial font and just one, 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 two, two. two. Yeah, which and to be fair, I do really like the Friday the Thirteenth coming for, towards the screen and breaking the glass. Like that's cool, but every everything else about that is Bumble. so basic, and it's all just that. All right, so then we uh, after the credits, I really enjoy Annie's introduction. She's very sweet and plucky, and I like when they she interacts with the townsfolk. I feel like it sets up this legend of the camp really well. Yeah, and it, it, it gives you the kind of small town. Um, it's it's funny because it's like New Jersey, so I, it's not <laughs> rural, but it kind of shows you there's 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 a little hillbilly in all of us. Um, because yeah, it's it's like eight people in the diner. They clearly eat there every single day. They all like stop and turn. It's I like that sort of like uh. You know, uh, what you doing around here? Only it's New Jersey, so it doesn't even have an accent. It's just a, a normal person. Sounds like, I don't know, Silvio probably. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I know about Jersey is the Sopranos. And I think whenever I think of New Jersey, I think of like this movie part two. Like it's just because it has that New Jersey feel to it. It's it's wonderful. I love I love the and even and to be fair. Even some of once they go to California, it still has like a different feel to it. I don't think it fully feels like California until some of the later entries. But I'm talking about like part three and part four. It doesn't feel quite as California to me. But like I love the New Jerseyness of this one and the second one because and so it, I've, I've never been is New Jersey. So this is the, the vibe of it. I mean, outside of outside the Sopranos, I'm just going to be that asshole. But I mean, this to me gives New Jersey sort of, um, I don't know, I guess a, a, a more foresty, a more um, a scenic feel to it. I always thought New Jersey was more dirty and run down. But again, that could be the Sopranos. I say that I say this as this is my idea of New Jersey. I have never been to New Jersey. And my main <laughs> like you is Sopranos. Um, 
We're both just talking out of rest on New Jersey. Clerks. And I'm trying to think of other stuff. And Friday the 13th. Those are the only things I can think of. And Friday the 13th is the only one that establishes any kind of forest look. Even you saying that, I'm like, yeah, I don't really. When I think of New Jersey, it's kind of similar to Connecticut. I don't think of forest. I just think of highway. Like, and it, yeah, yeah, highway and like two level buildings and no sun and, you know, gray coloring. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, I completely agree. But I think that that that. uh the setup of that small town, it just it feels like so many small towns. It feels heck, it feels like small towns around me in Michigan. So it just there's a coziness there that I really enjoy. Yeah, there's like a post office or something next to like a hardware store yeah. uh, that has the, the balconies with the, you know, it's, it's almost that sort of um, I'm trying to think what kind of it's like Americana, but a very specific. Mm-hmm. Era. But yes, I agree. I it's 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 cute. And she's backpacking and everybody's. Yeah. Kind of southern for some weird reason, and um, yeah, she like hit, uh, hitchhikes yeah. with the with the creepy dude. Yeah, I love it. Well, and nowadays, all I could think is nowadays that whole town square would be a bunch of abandoned buildings, and then like a mile down the road would be some Walmart, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> destroying all <laughs> the culture the of the of the town. <laughs> but and, and uh, so, but, but this is where we meet Crazy Ralph as well. Mm-hmm. which is probably my favorite. The one thing that I wish the later entries would, would have brought back in some way, kind of like they, they tried to in uh, Manhattan, which is the, the old, I, I, I love the character of the old drunk that somehow knows more than everybody else um, and spends his uh, free time warning everybody. Really a, a good Samaritan and I would say a patriot, really. It seems too. I've always taken his warnings as it's more like he's warning about Jason than anything. It's like in his mind, he doesn't even know that Pamela Voorhees is a thing, but he's been around. He knows that uh, stupid little uh, forest dweller has been killing, uh, killing animals and doing any any kinds of nonsense to people that go on that property, at least in my in my head. So I'm I'm like, ah, I think he's warning for Jason. And then it's just, ah, well, this movie, we just don't have Jason quite yet. Which, again, yes, they no, don't. He knows. Yeah, they don't. I'm not, that's implying from other films, but like, that's always how I've taken it. He absolutely knows. I mean, this is the kind of guy that, that you know, is putting pieces together. He's, he's, um, Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind, only <laughs> drunk, you know, like he, he sees everything kind of connecting. Yeah. Um, like I said, he's the best. He's the smartest guy here. Cause, cause he, he cares enough to, he like traverses around to warn people. And I love that. Gets a <laughs> little bike. bike. Like I understand if it's, yeah, if he's outside the convenience store and he's like, this is my spot, you know, like a, like, like a homeless dude. And just, he warns you if you're, if you're there, I respect that. But the fact that he's traversing out to, to people to let them know, it's like, he's, he's doing the Lord's work. Like, come on, man. Like, I want more of Ralph. Yeah, I would say that he is the he is very underutilized in this with how much time that he gets, because he's only in the film for what, 90 seconds, maybe from this scene and then a scene later on when he appears in the pantry. Like, otherwise, yeah, that's it. it's hardly in the movie. But he, but that's that's the beauty. Yeah. He leaves a mark, such a mark. There's I mean, such such a mark that. This essentially became a trope because of this movie. I mean, unless it came in, unless it happened in something else that I'm just not thinking of. But like, this is what really established it. Yeah, even if it came before, I, I agree. I think this became more iconic, maybe because 
the guy leans into the schlock a little. I mean, I, I, that's how I take yeah. it, but maybe the guy was just going for absolute um, yeah, poetry. I can't tell, but you know, he's like, yeah. there's a death curse. It, like, that's it's awesome, the same dude. thing. It, it's that. the same thing with like uh, Peeping Tom, Psycho, and I mean Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well, and then Black Christmas. Depending on who you talk to, they might all give the slasher nod as in terms of what created the slasher movie to those. But I always go to Halloween '78 just in terms of style, like the uh, the style of Halloween '78 is what slashers from that slasher boom were aping that's like what they took from it they they're like oh let's do halloween at a amusement park let's do halloween yeah, it was at- a die hard that became everything in the 90s yeah yes i agree i think I, i'm pretty sure um cunningham has admitted i believe and i'm again talking out of my ass that he basically saw halloween and was like okay let's i will let's make some money and just do that only with less yeah I think that's a big reason as to why I don't think Cunningham is a good horror director because he never wanted to do horror. He wanted to make money and that's what he did. He made a shit ton of money with this, but any what else did he direct? I uh, dude, I don't even know what he's directed outside. Of, I'm, I mostly know Sean Cunningham from reading through crystal lake memories and all of his bad ideas in there because a through line of both the documentary and that book is that sean cunningham hates jason Voorhees, (laughs) and that until like he was very much like very much a uh, champion of the jason goes to hell and doing something different until the reaction came out and then he's like oh yeah and he like mocks it where it's like whoa, 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 you're the one that supported this nonsense. You wanted it to be away from like Crystal Lake and the and the hockey mask. And which is funny, you know, that I love Jason X. Um, I don't know. It's always been just a fun movie, me, but uh, he was a, a reason for a lot of like the tonal changes that a lot of people seem to not like um, because he was meddling in the movie. But real quick, besides there's some a couple movies I've never heard of here from the Tigers, Mandy's Orphans. But the only other one he did that I recognize outside of Friday the 13th, that's at least genre, is Deep Star Six, <laughs> um, which isn't a bad movie. But now that I'm thinking, I, I don't know if any directing in that movie sticks out. I, th- I think it might just be a, just a fun, dumb underwater monster movie. So, yeah, it doesn't look like he's, um, he's, he's doing well yeah. in terms of uh, directing. I remember watching when I, I had a little bit of an obsession with some like, 80s sex comedies and best kind yeah and one thing that got brought up was spring break which he directed in 83 and i did not get through the movie i i shut it off i this is actually seeing it on imdb is the first time i've thought about this movie since i attempted to watch it what was so bad it's no but what was so bad about it? it's just boring there's a whole lot of nothing happening in it. The man doesn't. He seems to just always be like, yes, we're making movies. We're making a movie. We shot. We shot this. That makes it a movie <laughs> where it's like, really? Does it? Because so I wrote this out because the introduction to with the when the counselors get to the camp, um, uh, Steve Christie is like chopping down that stump. So mm, yeah, a yeah. game I like to play is. What should this shot be? Because it's almost always a wide shot and capturing everything in frame. 
But when they uh, when, so when all the kids drive up while Christie's chopping the stump, it's just a wide shot the whole time. He's chopping the stump. They come up wide shot does not cut the whole time. And there should be at least half a dozen shots between the establishing shot. Christie's reaction to the kids, the kids getting out. Christie talks to them, then they head off. Like there's literally a moment where Christie's says a line of dialogue and it's away from camera because it's just because Sean Cunningham is just like, yep, we're just going to do a wide shot and just everything is in frame. It is. It will drive you crazy because in your brain, you're like, oh, this should be their reaction. Oh, this should then be back to Steve. Oh, then, then this should. But it doesn't do any of that. And it just. It's comes across so amateur. It, it's it's but you're right to, to go back to your earlier point, though. Besides all that. His coverage is just so obnoxious that I'm, I'm not even sure, like a part of me is like, oh, we can probably take the whole scene out, actually, you know, like just start with him shaking hands like that, because there's a part where the red truck drives away as he's chopping wood and it's just the truck drive away and the, the camp push yeah. leg sign. And that's like nine seconds. <laughs> and then it's him chopping wood for like five. And then it's a, a, a wide of, of the truck coming up as he's chopping the wood more. And then the kids get out in the same wide and walk towards him. I'm like, we could <laughs> we could just yeah. it, why it's you, the we, same. take the chopping wood out, you know? It's the same wide from the moment the kids get there, like, and it until that scene ends. AKA, yeah, they could have cut it out, but I easily. Do, I do appreciate that he's this dorky guy with the old school glasses, uh, is wearing short shorts, shirtless, and like a, a handkerchief <laughs> around his neck. I, I, I'm confused at the, uh, the purpose of the costume, uh, but I kind of appreciate that it's so stupid that. <laughs> That it's just, yeah. I, it's almost like maybe like a dare, like, okay, if, if we get him to wear it, let film as much as we can. And it's like a practical <laughs> joke is like, uh, like one tenth of the movie. Yeah, I agree. Steve, I mean, Steve Christie's outfit in this. I, now that I think of it, it's, I wish that there were more people dressing up like that on Halloween <laughs> because it would be hilarious because yeah, I mean, no one would understand the, they'd be like, are you a, gay man in his 40s is that what this is with the handkerchief and yeah it's 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 something that the pull off would be would be so hard you'd have to the level of confidence you'd have to have in yourself to walk around in that costume knowing that people yeah. are just gonna think you look like an idiot is is impressive and um uh, respectful yeah and i don't think that that scene actually does much of anything no, stand up to the be- bar no he's just they're just talking yeah. and fixing shit it's like dude but again that's I, I do think this movie is way too talky for this reason where and this is could just be where I am at life. And, you know, like I said, I don't have a lot of nostalgia with this, but uh, there's a lot of talking for a movie that isn't a talking movie. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to lack of content. Yeah, no, like, no, padding, padding for sure. Yeah, which I mean, OK, so I want to talk about because I've never liked this. What is Alice's relationship with Steve Christie? <laughs> like, oh, I, I don't know. Because uh, they seem, it oh, seems like she's like maybe, her. yeah, yeah, he's like, he's yeah, like playing head hair, counselor yeah. that then they fuck on the side. Because I mean, it's very much like there's that line of dialogue where it's like, she even says, like, well, that's what you looked like last night. Or it's like very clearly like, oh, they had slept together. But they're, they're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes. More of a casual thing. But it's, Everything about that is just, it's a very strange dynamic. And I think maybe 
get I mean, because this scene happens right after the scene with that the pointless scene. So then maybe because of that, I'm like, what's this? This scene gets that same point across of like the power dynamics, which I assume that that intro is supposed to be getting across is like the power dynamics between Steve Christie and the counselors. But this one already gets that across. And if anything, it just makes me even more confused because they don't put any kind of set boundaries on it. It's more of just a thing like it just it happens and then they almost forget about it yeah it, it's just the whole everybody's horny is is what i always sort of attributed to because all it establishes is that it's a fucked which fantastic and and i'm happy for everybody but okay <laughs> i mean you take in or leave it out it doesn't really change anything because they then they just kind of die separately so it's like maybe they're 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 doing maybe they're, they're trying to really like be deeper than they they have any idea how to go and this is them sort of reaching i i don't i don't know i he looks like he's in his 50s I, so well, i don't know why he's working that anyway does he own it i mean is that the guy is he the owner yeah he's the owner okay the christie's well, put him a shirt and hire camp. some people then you know yeah i i mean i agree i don't i don't like that but then okay so this is i think my biggest problem with the entire movie other than cunningham and his direction um i really don't like alice she is easily the weakest final girl of the major franchises so like the laurie strodes the nancy thompson's stuff like that it should have been annie but i'm assuming that was supposed to be like a fun twist where you think the main character is is one and and yeah Annie had a little more spunk to her um um uh what's what's the blonde girl's name alice 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 is, and I mean this in the nice way, just very plain. And maybe that was a point. Plain Jane that, that finally like comes up and saves the day and survives. But I agree. She's far less interesting. And um, I don't, I don't like her, her, her tone to me is, is like melatonin. Dude, I don't believe a single word she says in this movie. And I think that believability is the core of acting. I think, she is easily the worst actress in this film. I think that the character of Alice is so ridiculously weak that they have then just kind of retroactively tried to add these like character elements to her. Where I'm like, no, that's not the case. Cause like I'll watch Crystal Lake Memories and they'll talk about stuff with her. Where I'm like, ah, uh, the character is not that layered. <laughs> like, not at all. Oh, of course. But I mean, I, I think it's, it's one of those like uh, in hindsight things or maybe it wants things to have more meaning where yeah. really what happened is they probably were like, Hey, we, we need an actress. We'll give you a hundred dollars for the month. And they were like, sure. Like that's, that's really all that happened. You know, they, they, yep. they lowballed somebody. I mean, it's just like, Hey, will you work for little to nothing and, and be cold in the woods? You know, uh, but it's funny though. Cause again, though, I don't, think anybody in this movie is a good actor um outside of uh, betsy palmer personally any doe as a, the actress or the character or how it was written just comes off a little more likable yeah. and um it, it's 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 i respect the decision to kill her off because i think i i get what they're going for like let's have some balls yeah. but it's one of those things that man in the edit somebody should have or really in the daily should like you know what guys we need a course correct. You know, it's a, it's a whole like uh, when you see you have something better, you need to to sort of change on the dime, and yeah. they didn't. 
I would I would go as far as to say I would have preferred any of the other girls to Alice. So give me Marcy. Give me I mean, Brenda is my favorite character. So definitely give me Brenda. Okay, I'm like, bad at names. Which one's Brenda? Brenda's the one that uh, encourages the uh, strip Monopoly game and gets murdered oh, on the uh, archery course. Oh, yeah. OK. Uh, yeah, I have no issues with her. Yeah, um, I, I, I I've always I been a fan of hers. This is not the movie that I, I really have much to say in terms of like <laughs> the acting because it's all everybody like reads their lines in the perfect reading tone. So whatever. Yeah, no, I get that. Well, and so the Annie's death, I think that is really well done. I love the the appliance that they use and just I mean, how it's shot because you're like, there's a lot of confusion or like, oh, who is who is this person? Who is because then you're trying to put together like, OK, this Jeep. Then you see like the Steve Christie Jeep later. There are these different things where like, OK, who 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 could actually be doing this? And then when you see the actual throat slit, it almost adds a. There's like a meanness to it that then kind of gives like, a, OK, this almost feels personal. So then obviously hmm. the reveal makes it so much better when it actually shows up, shows to be personal. But I just that throat slit is to this day one of my favorite uh like slashings of anything it just looks so good it's definitely one of the better um kills in this movie um i also think a lot of the kills are just stabbings and it gets kind of boring but no the throat slit it's it's a good frame uh, it's lit well it, i don't know it, it like it's that cool yeah exactly like, there's a little bit of texture in the in the cuts yeah um outside of bacon's kill yeah i i would agree I, i'm down with that um you know, it's it's tame this many years later, but I can appreciate, uh, you know, pulling it off for the budget and the the time they had. No, yeah. well, and as much as much as I talk shit about the camera work, I do love it when it's in the perspective of the killer. Where there's one scene where Alice goes out to, what is it? It's Harry Crosby's character, Bill. When she goes out to Bill, which by the way, Bill is wearing this amazing outfit. When we talk about great. Ho- like Halloween costumes, it's he's wearing like white pants with uh, red uh, suspenders and, and no shirtless. shirt. <laughs> I love it. It is the best look. Where I'm like, I wish I could pull that off because that's a great. That's just a great look. But I do appreciate the open chestness of the eighties. That's that. I felt like I'd I'd have been more in my element. Um, I don't think I could pull off any of those looks, but I'm just saying the at least they were willing to try, and I, I appreciate that. I agree. And now I, I also understand as to because if you've ever watched any of the Crystal Lake stuff, like Crystal Lake Memories, all the girls seem to have crushes on uh, Harry Crosby, which that's Bing Crosby's kid for those unaware. And all I could think of is this scene where I'm like, how much are they just thinking of this? <laughs> the fact that he was shirtless during this. Yes, shirtless in good shape. I mean, yeah, everybody's young and horny, man. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's great because like there's a moment that watches that's like from behind a tree where it's watching Alice come back from talking to Bill and Alice passes by like right by her to the point where the camera has to like hide behind the tree. And I mean, as much as I talk shit about Cunningham, the the thing that works about it is the fact that we're sitting in that moment and getting to see and and how long it lasts with no cuts is what makes it so good. I won't fight Shannon. I mean, the POV stuff is fun and it's unique for, for this. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm glad the series didn't continue this. Well, if it's funny, I would say 
as much shit as part five gets, part five is sort of a quasi reboot remake of the first because it brings back the POV killer. Very much so. And it's actually a big reason why I love part five because I love the whodunit aspect of it because it's just, it's very appealing. It's very, I don't know. It's nice to see because you don't really, especially in later movies, especially in later sequels, you're not seeing, there's not a, is this really this person that's doing it? Yeah, we're uh, too far along. It doesn't make sense. But but for the reboot of the series for part five, I, I kind of respect they went back to the vibe and version of uh, the original. Yeah, I completely agree. What, so what do you think about the uh, the snake scene? Because I feel like that is so fucking random. It, it's a patter. I, I I'm just going to say it. I'm not as bothered by stuff like this as other people. Um, I don't really have out. It's, I, I'm just going to, it's a snake. It's like, that sucks for the snake, but between me and the snake, it's going to be the snake. So I, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's, 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 you know, it's a filler scene that, that I, maybe establishes that there's machete. I, I actually don't know the point. I feel half this movie is just random to me. Uh, but I feel this is a scene that people bring up because they get offended. And I just, I'm not that kind of guy. So to me, I'm like, eh, it's not like the, the turtle scene. And, um, Oh, um, Campbell Holocaust where I'm like, okay, that's, that's much. This is, I, I don't <laughs> have as much sympathy for snakes or spiders for that matter. I'm going to get that out of the way. Like people are like, ah, don't step on the spiders. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm sorry. That sucks. They do a good job. There's enough of them. Uh, yeah, it's not a, a massive stampede on them, but, um, I'm, I, I don't give a shit if a movie kills something that, you know, is deadly. I know it's not a deadly snake, so I'm just being an ass at this point, but no, I get it. The scene's useless. Uh, I don't think it builds tension, but it, it does, I think, add for some probably fun uh, side questing. Um, but offended, I am not. Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm not I'm definitely not offended by it either. I think it's more I view it more as just a like you said, padding choice where I watch it and I'm just like, what's the point of this? But then I also oh, the, guy, the guy's a shirt open with a machete. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a lot of this is just like we got to have cute girls, bikinis and shirtless dudes. Like I, maybe that's all this is. And then they like made a slasher out of it, you know, now that I think of it, too, because it's like, yeah, I guess I've never thought about the like the male sex element. But yeah, they do have like Harry Crosby shirtless a bunch. Kevin Bacon has that whole sex scene where it's like, yeah, maybe they were Sean S. Cunningham. Maybe he was a he was a revolutionary in terms of <laughs> he needed he needed stuff for the women, stuff for the men. Uh, guys, exactly. Because it's horny. And, and like we're saying earlier, he, he, he said that sex comedy. And I, I got to look into his filmography. Maybe he has more of that type of of horniness filmography. But, uh, you know, as as I'm, I'm having this as we talk, the amount of girls in bikinis and shirtless dudes is to the point where I'm now suspicious. I'm like, put on a shirt. I mean, <laughs> I could be, I, I don't want to speak, uh, speak too loosely, but he actually directed a porno called the art of marriage. It's a soft core porn. So he okay, does. So that's so yeah, he has his, his, he knows the audience. He knows where the money's at. Good for him. Yeah, he definitely is going for it. And you know what? The more I see, even look at his filmography, he really is just about ripping off whatever is popular because he did that Here Come the Tigers, which is a Bad News Bear ripoff. Mm, mm. So this man, hey, I mean, I bet he would have done some uh, comic book stuff in 
in 2009 <laughs> if he had uh, had the ability. I appreciate people trying to make a dime um, quickly, but the thing is, is in the worlds of um, Lloyd Kaufman and Charles Band, I'm like, Cunningham, buddy, you were before them and, and you, you couldn't even get on the on the field, you know? Yeah, completely agree. And OK, so snake scenes done. This is when we essentially I call it killing night. This is when killing night begins. <laughs> Because this is when the movie is really off to the races and it's just what I would call great kills, but it sounds like you would not. Um, well, let's see. So we got Ralph reminding one more time. We got the, the cop that shows up and can't ride his bike afterwards, which I think is always kind of funny. Oh, yeah. I never, I never noticed. So like, I think can't ride. my 20s, somebody asked me pointed out and then like, it's one of those that you see it and you can't unsee it. Now it's like, that's all I can focus on is the guy just doing his best not to tip over. And as somebody like does not ride a motorcycle, I'm like, poor guy. I can imagine like lying to get on the film set to get a job. Like, you know, to ride a motorcycle. It's like, absolutely. And then she'd be like, ah. well, and then the, the guy who ride the police officer from the second one doesn't know how to drive a car. So it's like, what is with them and hiring people that don't know how to operate the machinery that they need to operate because that's revealed so, in like the crystal lake memories doc he's like yeah i didn't know how to drive it's like what excuse me as somebody who was raised in the in the suburbs like it's so fa it's fascinating to me but um when i um eventually moved into the city and worked like downtown the amount of people that i worked with that just didn't know how to drive at all was so high that it weirded me. I mean, it, it makes sense, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, it, like we live in such different worlds. This person's like, I couldn't drive a car if I, if, if you gave me the keys now. And it's like, shit, when, you know, when you're like 16, you try to get as fast as you can. Hell, I mean, uh, I don't know about your school, but mine provided, uh, um, driving lessons, but it was a lottery. So if you didn't get it, you had to like go to a program after school. That's how important was the drive. So like, I'm assuming they just got a bunch of city folk. That's the only explanation that I can think of. Yeah, getting locals. I think the fact that they had to hire locally ended up being a big aspect of it because I know they were a lot of the cast, both from the first and the second movie, are just like New York theater actors. So they're very clearly just pulling from what they can get locally. Yeah, I mean, it has to. It's, it's a weird thing. But okay, so kill wise, what's the first one? Is it going to be Bacon's? Because I like Bacon's kill. I think it's probably the best. I think Marcy's. Well, technically, technically Ned is the first death where he gets killed off screen. And then we get the reveal while uh, Marcy and what and Kevin Bacon are and Jack. That's it. Marcy and Jack are fucking. And then it goes up to the pans up to the shot and he's Ned's dead in the bed. So then it's Marcy is next. She gets the axe in the face, which. Is Marcy, now again, I'm bad at names. Is Marcy um, Bacon's yes. chick? Yeah, she's cute. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's an okay, I don't know. I, it's, I think a shot that's been done better late in the series, so I, will, I guess I'll give it credit for being the first, but it's the budget, the budget constraints here, Yeah, I think, make the kills very, I don't know, cheap. Re but, revolutionary, but also over so fast, because I watched the uncut yeah. version which even has more and dude, it is, it's over in a flash. It's her, her, it's the shot of her being shocked. Uh, 
axe hitting the light to prove that it's a you know hard object and then it's the shot of it in the face her dropping down in the in the uh, frame with it already in her face so it's it's very brief even in the uncut version yeah and i'm assuming that's because of budget and and this is the sort of duality that i have to deal with because you know i i, I want to complain because i don't like it but i also have to be wise enough to realize that the time, the place, and the money, that was probably pretty good. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking, like, hey, what if I had only had, I don't know, what is it, like $20,000, whatever this is, in today's money, and, and I had to get my friends, you know. So I, I try to keep that in mind. Um, and so I, I'm always going to price it the same thing, which is uh, it doesn't do it for me, but I, I can't say it's bad because I understand the way history works. Yeah, $550,000 budget in 1979 would have been when it was filmed so like yeah that's not much money especially i mean in today's dollars like that's probably what like 2.5 million i want to say so probably i mean i'm bad at i'm bad at math but yeah i mean but which is nothing nothing you know absolutely nothing you know union costs and just the cost of everything yeah yeah we uh we often praise indie movies that are like 10 million dollars like people are like oh this indie movie did so well it's like well that's kind of the the lower tier Uh, you need about 10 million for that kind of stuff and obviously yes there's another there's a whole nother form of like indie indie that you can you can do it for less money, but it's it's tough. And so the fact that they were able to do this and also too, another thing is the MPAA, like the MPAA are much more lax these days, like much more. It, lax. Yes, it's funny to think because uh, for a good chunk of my existence and things that I loved, that was like a rallying. Uh, that was a rallying. Cry. You got it. You got it. That was a rallying cry. <laughs> Uh, of of sort of the disenfranchised. When I was growing up, it was like I, I would have had a tattoo if I if I was dumb enough and had the money that said like "fuck the MPAA." Because every documentary and every sort of info I could get on a movie behind the scenes would always include that the MPAA always screwed them. And now we're living this great time, which I should feel better about that. Like an R-rated movie could come out and uh, that would have been NC-17 in 1998. And I can't, in, in 1980, it would have been, I, I don't know, banishment, you know? The stuff that appears on network TV, not, not even cable, just network TV can be mind-blowing where you're just like, what? That wasn't even allowed because, I mean, we'll be getting over, we'll be going over this a lot in the coming weeks and months because... There is no series that has been more gutted by the MPAA than the Friday the 13th series. So it's it's just kind of adds to fuel to the fire of just how insane it is that like they had such issues with this. Yet nowadays, I mean, Walking Dead, which is technically on cable, but like Walking Dead has more violence in it in a single episode than any of this Friday the 13th. Yeah, I would say most of the series, actually. Dude, I saw, speaking of, uh, you know, because I always think of this as a, a, a different universe's Friday the 13th, but I saw the original Hatchet in theaters, the R-rated version, and the gore in that is gore than the entire Friday the 13th series, unrated, untouched alone. And that just shows you, like, how far we've come and just how 
lacks violence is 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 becoming accepted and it's good because you know there's been documentaries on the mpa and how it's a, a secret cult basically mm. there is no sort of format you you can't really get explanations they give you vague things so it's like you know i i still hate them and um i don't think we need them yep. so i am glad that they're 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 have less authority it seems well, i should say too because i always refer to them even in current videos as the mpaa technically they are now the mpa mpaa mpa <laughs> i keep on why would they take an a no why I, that's a great because i think they're uh they're just the motion picture association they're no longer of america they have more authority these days i think i assume that's why because i actually got corrected on one of the videos that i did oh, they're like hey the, i would have been the mpa like, aren't a thing no. anymore they disbanded and i was like that's not my problem yeah. that's not my problem guess what it's still puff daddy you know you get one name and that's it you know that's i'm not changing no you get the two ways you get the two ways because that's what you were. And if I, if, oh, if anybody corrects me in that, but don't you ever tell <laughs> me like how to say this, this sort of fascist, useless program. Like I'll call it whatever I want, you know? My, my own MPAA. logic towards it has been, uh, well, no, I'm still going to refer to it as the MPAA because all the stuff that I'm talking about, that's, it's the MPAA during that era. So that's, that's the mental gymnastics that I do. It's like the WWE. It's, come on, it's the WWF. Oh my God, you're the different person. I'm sorry, I forgot that you're you're the opposite. Of I was gonna say I'm the wrestling guy you're talking to here, so I will actually give spit some facts to you of the fact that uh, WWE has actually been their name longer than it like WWF. That makes me not want to live. <laughs> that makes me realize that I've gone on too long, and that it's time to take my hat and hang it up. Like, like that'll do. That'll do. It's like if I've lived long enough where the WWF has been around less than WWE, and, I, and that is true. I'm not even a wrestling fan, but I, I'm a oddly a purist for for random things. That um, oh, that's that 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 ruined my day. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that's what I'm here for, man. Oh man. <laughs> well, let's continue to oh, let's continue to ruin your day and go through the rest of uh, Friday the Thirteenth because the next kill is your favorite, which is the Kevin Bacon kill, which I think is that's. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, it's my favorite in the in both the the um movie, but then it's maybe my favorite of the whole franchise. I love the sleeping bag kill, so it'll be tough, but I think it's my favorite. I'm gonna try to keep note. Oh wow, wow! Oh, the whole franchise. Yeah, yeah. Not okay, I love enough, I love enough. the whole uh, which also I didn't think of it until this this viewing. So we have. Pamela Voorhees kills. Oh, spoiler alert! I assume everyone knows. Um, I mean, at this point, dude, hope. no, you don't get spoilers. Uh, yeah, you don't get spoilers. It's she kills Marcy and then goes to kill Jack, Kevin Bacon, and so we already know she's outside of that cabin. So how does she get under the bed? <laughs> does she like? Because all I can think is like it's storming outside, and I'm not sure if you've ever been in one of those cabins before, but. As soon as you even open up a cabin door, it's like you hear all the noises from outdoors. And so it's like, how did how did she get how did she sneak in? And then like, did she like army crawl her way over to under the bed? <laughs> but this for her being older doesn't make sense because you're right. Like, like I'm in decent shape. And like, that's that's like a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of core. You got to be kind of flexible. And she's like. 
a, a little old lady, you know? I mean, like, she's not, obviously, but she's not 24. Mm. So that makes a lot. Yeah, and exactly. Like that, those, what's the, uh, you think, the heightage from the floor to the bed frame's beginning? I mean, like, you gotta be, you gotta be thin and you gotta, you know, and also upper body strength because she has to somehow get that pole and the little space on the bed and then use her forearms and, and probably some pecs and uh, shoulder, the whole upper body and then get it through the bed, man. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize how strong she was. Good for her. I didn't even think, too, the logistics of her, like, reaching around from under the bed and holding someone in place. Like, thank... While using the other hand to... I mean, thankfully, the arrow does come through very quickly, so it's not like she would have to hold very long. But still, the logistics of it. And I had never... I had not once thought of this, like, when watching this movie as a kid. So, again, I understand how No, no, this is this is older. Yeah, yeah, we're we're having fun. I mean, come on, man. No, exactly. I mean, it's... We could do this for everyone, but, you know, it it is fun to think that some, some older lady has to... Somehow, in the almost no space she has on that bed, maneuver that spear, <laughs> get it through, and then use her her good arm or not? Or I guess to be her bad arm because I'm assuming she's stabbing with her I'm good sorry. arm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you say spear? I'm pretty sure it's just an arrowhead, like an arrow that she pushes well, through. Okay, but, but it's just okay, which makes say, it even crazier. Sharp pointy objects. No, I'm saying <laughs> okay. that because it makes it even nut, even more nuts that she's able to do it because like. Because there should it would break, yeah, that's a good point. But either way, I like I'm just saying the physical feat of of Miss Voorhees um, is impressive, and let's let's not let's not forget to give her and her her amazing strength some credit. Because you know you're right. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, dude, good for her. She's she's lifting on the weekends. <laughs> she's going for 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 you know sprints. She's a beast. That's all all we can really say. She's uh, she did her CrossFit. She's, she's jacked, yeah. dude. She's checked. And take off that sweater. She uh she has forearms and the biceps and the triceps to to challenge. When I man. think of Betsy Palmer, I think of you know, dump truck. A lifter, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A woman that could could move things if need be. Absolutely. So after that, they have the strip monopoly, which I think is very fun because I think that's it just it's one of the most real moments I think that the movie has. Cause yeah, that feels like something that the counselors would do. Yeah. And it establishes why Brenda is my favorite because she, she makes the best comments during that scene. (laughs) What is she? I, I I don't know. It's her, it's her whole idea for to do the strip poker in the first place. And she's just very playful with it versus Alice, who just seems to be more of like a prude during it. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's why, um, which is clearly uh, intentional on purpose. Yeah. yeah, that. But I've never, I've never been a fan of the prude over the the cute like girl that wants to have fun in the movie. But yeah. you know, I would also probably die early on if uh, I was in a slasher. So fair enough. And then they do the Brenda goes and she investigates. I think just noises. Doesn't she like hear? Yeah, no, she thinks way, she right? hears a kid or something. She thinks she hears someone. It's something like that. And she gets lured out to the to the uh, arrow shooting archery, the archery range. And I love that. The whole setup is so great. The tension. I think if anything, it doesn't go on long enough. We have all of these scenes of tension and like waiting around. Yet yeah, that scene, I think it gets cut off too short because you're like. 
there's the there's the whole implication of like, oh, you're on a archery range. Oh shit, you're in front of these targets. Bad shit's gonna happen. Yeah, it's like once the lights go on, you don't have much time. You're right. Yeah, but but it's cool that she's walking. I mean, I I do agree though. Illogical. I like the idea on her like nightgown walking through the rain. It's 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 a creepy look, and the setting's great. I I agree with you. Like um. There should have been more teasing at the range, like more like maybe maybe wounding her. But that's how I would have done it. like one in her arm. And then she like it like runs down past yes. more of the um, the um, the uh, targets and then one gets her leg and then she goes down more. And then as she, you know, you just keep pumping her with arrows. And then she like maybe cuts to like a, a wide and she's like just stuck to one. Yeah. I don't know. That's a better scene. You just wrote a better scene right there. <laughs> oh, I'm no Sean Cunningham. <laughs> hey, no. Victor Miller and Ron Kurz. They're the ones that did. We just had a whole lawsuit oh. about this. Come on. Well, I know, but because I, I thought, I thought, because uh, isn't it Victor Miller owns the original rights of Friday 13th and then uh, Cunningham owns like the adult Jason and a bomb? I believe so. Yes. It's, there's a lot of weird stuff when it comes to that. I just, I'm waiting until something gets released to finally fully understand because it's like all this information gets released. I'm always just like, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's good. It's a good point. And I also yeah, don't care. Same. Like, like it's, it's people's money arguing people's money. How about you just put it aside, make some Jason movies so I can have yeah. fun again and then take my money. I, I, you know, I don't understand. I have money. Take it. <laughs> well, and then, uh, let's see. I'm trying to get through these kills. David or Harry Crosby, David, he goes out and investigates the power and he gets arrowed to the door which I think is the most violent reveal of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool one. That is a cool one. I'll give you that. Yeah, a little more. Yeah, unique. it looks very cool. And then, I mean, the thing I like the most about that is then it then is like, okay, Alice is on her own. There's no one. No one is going to save her now because we've seen everyone else. Which I guess we skipped over. Uh, Steve Christie also gets killed by unknown assailants. So the one, the one like supposed suspect. You're like, oh, I guess it's not him. Which is a fun little moment, but I mean, I, I must be honest. I have no memory of this ever being like a whodunit because this is one of the, by the time I saw this, I knew it was, um, you know, uh, Patsy, yeah. Patsy Palmer. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned that cause you know, that that's a logical way to view this, but I, I just, I've never, I don't like comprehend like that. I was, I was like, why would you think it's him? It's not him. But I'm like, oh, you, cause, cause you're supposed yeah. to. Yeah. So let's get into, this is the big moment. The Mrs. Voorhees reveal. So what, it, what's your, what's your thoughts on this one? It's iconic for a reason. Uh, Betsy Palmer does a great job. I think, uh, as I said earlier, she's the best actress. It's a cool ending, man. It's, it's cool. And like you said, if, if it was something that never had sequels, uh, you know, I, I, well, I guess, you know, no, because it still gets respect, even though Jason is a bigger character and that's what people want to see. I, I do think, and I agree with the masses here that this was a clever, well executed ending, uh, elevated by an actress who wasn't, she paid like in like gas money or some shit. She, like it was something yeah, like that. It was enough so she, cause she needed, <laughs> she needed a new car. So she took, yeah, yeah just, just yep. a paycheck. But I like it, and it gets the story, Jason, which is interesting. It's um, it's the best part of the movie. Yeah, uh, but it's a better ending than the movie deserved. Is how I'd probably how I'd explain it. But again, that's only because I like the later ones better. 
Yeah, I'd agree. It's essentially takes. I mean, it's it's I think it is the best reveal in terms of a fun little twist that the that the series has. And I think, too, it's just Betsy Palmer's acting in it is phenomenal. She just does a great job. It's it's very over. It's very much like over the top. But that's it's this woman is nuts. Like Mrs. Voorhees is nuts. So I think it works really well. And I mean, outside of the actual speech, there are definitely just like any issue, any issues with the movie, there are pacing problems where it's like, okay, why are we seeing all of this? Or why is it all just a wide or medium shot? Because to be fair, he is getting into a little more mediums at this point, but it is still mostly just wide shots. Like we didn't the mediums though. He still follows people doing everything. Yeah, like he like if somebody gets to get up, they have to then get on their knees, push themselves up, uh, lean on the table, get up, and then walk away. Where it's like, I get it, man. Uh, we're at least not a wide, but we like you can't cut anywhere. Do we have to have Alice, to see the entire motion? Alice in that fucking kitchen. Like there are so many times where it's like she's like cooking, <laughs> moving, or like just getting pans and stuff. Where it's like we do not need to see this whole exchange. Like she's not doing anything. <laughs> But it's again padding. They're just padding yes. things out. Yes. But and I, I, I kind of appreciate that at one point you could do that. Yeah. Uh, and people would be like, yeah, like you know, because because here's the thing: Sean Cunningham's doing better than I am. Yeah. So I kind of want. I wish I could have gone back in time and it made an okay movie with just a lot of walking, standing, moving, um, you know, driving, looking, chopping. <laughs> That's like, that's all it is. Even moments where you're like, oh, this should then cut to a close up or a medium. It still just stays on that wide. <laughs> so exactly. If anything, he's a, he's definitely a trailblazer in that regard. <laughs> a man that's trying to, to make a dime as quick as he can. Yeah. I love him. Yep. And I, I mean, I like the, the whole exchange where, like Allison's hiding away, like hiding from um from Pamela Voorhees, and Pamela s- still finds her. But then there's still dumb moments of like her knocking her out, or just like pushing her over into some stuff, and then running away. It's like, oh my god, the blocking of this is so dumb. Like, give me a little more. Like, it's just well, it makes you realize that that there's like nobody's a stunt person. They all have to do it for real, so everything looks very safe and sort of like. Uh, you know, just just like uh, one of those soap opera kind of falls where it's like, oh, OK, yeah, I, I like that. Like you, you fell in a way that is very safe and, you know, and, and you guys are wrestling in a way that's very kind. The beach battle. Uh, yeah. yeah. Where it's just like you can just <laughs> tell or it's like they're very clearly not trying to hurt each other, but trying to like. Be nice. Yeah, with it. Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious, too, because I know that Betsy Palmer like had to be told like, hey. We don't hit people in in film. This isn't stage play. Like we. That's awesome. She went. She was trying to slap a bitch. It's like that's that's <laughs> that's the Betsy Palmer I like. That's why I like her in this movie. And also how unapologetic she is when she does the any or if she's passed now. But when she did these interviews, it's like she just like doesn't give a fuck. And I love that. <laughs> that's my favorite type of uh, archetype for a person. Like like it has to be a, a, a true. Uh, I you know I call it like the the William Friedkin mm-hmm. like yes at, at times you you're probably being an asshole but if you commit to being an asshole all the time I actually will like you you know you can't waver you have to just be like cigarette in hand 
uh, you know, obviously on, on little sleep, kind of over life, like that, that sort of person. Like I want to, I want to just like wrap in a, in a, in a blanket and hug, but like I never change. Yeah. So if she's sitting there just like, ah, fuck, I need the money for the car. Never change, you know, <laughs> please. No, I agree. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, moment of, uh, like any, any time that you get to see her talk about this film is so great. And her passing when she did pass, that was the first thing that came to mind was like, shit, we don't get any of her amazing takes on any of these documentaries anymore. She's just very blunt. <laughs> uh, that's the goal, man. That's the goal. You need fuck you money. Yep. And then, then you can just say what you want. Well, we got the big shocking ending. So this is one thing that I, it's the big moment and even this moment is still technically a ripoff of Carrie and Sean Cunningham admits to it's admits to as much but it's just kind of funny where it's like yep there's no original idea out there it's all just it's all just uh going off the stuff that you like as a as a like film fan <laughs> it's like Quentin Tarantino it's like all the stuff you like in Quentin's movies technically they happened in something else so it's like no one has an original thought I mean, and I don't say that as a yeah. negative thing. I just say that in like a matter of fact way. It's called, yeah, repurposing with style. That's, that's all art is. Mm-hmm. Um, in this ending, I don't know. It's fine. It's iconic and I'll give it that, but all it does is just confuse everything else after. So dude, this ending is the only reason that we get your goddamn amazing sequels that you love. Oh, we love. Sure. <laughs> and so I said, it's like, I said, it's iconic. I, you know, it, 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 it helped out. Sure. But I'm just saying now let's look at it all these years later. It, it, it's confusing because yeah. Jason's an adult in the next one. Really, all you had to do instead of this part, which would have been less cool, but then you cut to like a, a POV shot in the woods or maybe even a behind the uh, behind the character. So it's like in silhouette of this hulking sort of long haired baghead dude looking over at her in the boat. And then we establish it like that Jason's around or somebody else, but this it's like, okay, but he's a boy. Then he's a, a man. It's, it, it just makes it, it just confuses it. Cause it's like, I, I can't explain where Jason from right now to Jason to part two, how that even exists. Like there's not a good through line there. The continuity uh, again, issues between both this, makes no sense. Yeah, this, this series and Halloween, both just like always have bad continuity problems. <laughs> Which is why. I th- yeah, it's because it was made up on the fly yeah. and that's fair. I, I can't, you know, I get it. This is money talks yeah. and that's what this is. Money talks. Which is why what makes it even more impressive when something like uh, like Child's Play comes along and it actually has outside of the remake has the exact same uh, like through line for all of these. It's actually what I respect the most about it. And I don't love all of them. And I'm not in love with where it's, you know, like I have issues with the Chucky series. Yeah, same. But I absolutely respect it the most in terms of they never wavered. They change, but they, I love that it always connects. um, And it's convoluted as can be, but I I, I absolutely love, that's like the stuff that we grew up on. Um, Only it's one guy, Don Mancini. But, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I also like though, in, Let's use this series because it was the 80s where they didn't plan a sequel, but the sequel had to continue ex- like it had to continue off of this one. So that the characters in the beginning, part two, you know, like it's not one of those like they kind of vaguely like mention a thing. It's like, no, it all takes place like this one ends and this one picks yeah. up. And I, I, you know, I know it kind of falls apart towards the later sequels, <laughs> but I've always loved that idea of of a director like getting a chance to make a movie. But it's like, OK, but you you need to start right here because that's where we ended. 
wherever you want to go, have fun. But it's it's like a it's a cool handicap to me. It's like it's like okay, he's at the bottom of the lake with a chain and a rock. Go. <laughs> like, okay, cool. No, I I I'm right there with you. I completely agree. And so we've gone through the movie. I actually have a nice little surprise for you, Lance. Is it a gift? Are you buying me liquor? <laughs> Should I check the door? So I know how much you hate the out of ten rating system. I do. And I do. I'm. I, I grew up. I grew up. I am from. I am from Cook County. We do four stars and two thumbs up. That's all you fucking get. This ten star stuff. This ten IMDb crap. Sorry. Continue, sir. So I mean, that's that is what we are going to be doing. We're going to be doing instead of an out of ten, we will be doing a four star program for this one to satiate Lance. But also, I mean. For myself, Lance and I have had these talks like off air, but I'm very much like a a ten a, a ten a ten number scale is very much just like it's not something it, like if we were to do the Friday the Thirteenth series, I would not give a single ten because of how I'm I'm very stringent with that number scale. However, we switch it to a four star, then I'm <laughs> also why not? I'm I'm gonna be a little I'm not it nearly as like stringent with my like no 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 this is what a nine out of ten is this is what a ten. So I'm going to view this as more of just in the world of Friday the thirteenth. You know what I mean? So this okay. will be based on just that. This is in terms of a Friday the thirteenth movie, this is my what I would consider. Okay, good. So what do you, what do you rate it out, out of four then? So out of four, uh, I still do enjoy elements of this, but it's, I never rewatched this one. Um, no, as a matter of fact, I think that this most recent, cause we had a, um, Friday the 13th fall in October. And just because of the fact that I hadn't watched it in so long, this was the movie that I watched that Friday the 13th. And it was my first time rewatching it in quite some time. And even <laughs> even rewatching it for this, it took me three times. I paused it and had to do other stuff multiple times just because it doesn't. There's such there's so many lulls and so many bits of just boring pieces that then I'm like, ah, I could do this instead. Ah, I could do that instead. So I would give this a two stars. What about you? Hmm. Interesting. I, so it's funny. I, when, when we, when you said we're doing out of four, a part of me is like, I don't think I could give it a one because that it's almost still disrespectful. Like I, it, a one would be like my personal thought, but that's not taking into account, taking into account sort of what this did, where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I can't separate this from, the rest of the series and other slashers. I just, I have a hard time because I didn't see this first. I saw this probably, I probably rented this one dead last. If I, if I had to guess, cause I've, I've, my big thing about uh, the video store when I was a kid is I just rented the, the coolest cover. <laughs> so if it said Jason six, like I, yeah. you know, I have no people that be like, no, I, I, as a kid, I had to watch the third. I was like, I, I couldn't give a shit. Uh, my first nightmare on Elm street was number four. Cause Freddie's weird metal gloves ripping his face. And I was like seven. And I was like, I want to watch that. Um, so I would say two actually, cause two to me is like, it's respectful enough to say, Hey, yeah, you've done some stuff. It's not a complete waste of time, but it is the one I revisit the least. Um, and I probably won't watch it for a very long time because I don't need to. Um, it's, it's not, I, I, I never put it in my rotation on a Friday the 13th when I, whenever the holiday pops up, 
like once a year or something or twice. Um, I would say percentage wise, zero is is the original. So no, I mean the only thing that I'm thinking of right now is because this is one of my lower ones in terms of a Friday the Thirteenth. I think one of the only ones I would rate lower than this is like a Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> so then I'm like, oh shit, does this just oh, yeah. mean all of my ratings are going to be either two? Which by the way, I do halves. We're doing halves for stars, right? Well, of okay. course. I'm just making. Of course, it's not a lesson. Just making sure. And uh, come on, man, we're we're both from the Midwest, like. Like it's a full star, half star, full star, half star. Maybe, maybe the Tribune did a quarter, but I'm not really into nah. quarter stars. Let's just do singles, halves, and throw throw a thumbs up or down if we feel the need to to add a little spice. But I, 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 I definitely have a, a lot of them that'll be a rating and a half. Uh, yeah, guaranteed. Okay, good. Because yeah, most of mine are gonna fall into the uh, over two star range because I really love this series, so it should be fun to to go through it. But do you have any final thoughts on the original Friday the 13th? I'm glad we got it out of the way <laughs> so we could start getting into Jason Voorhees. That is it, sir. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, this I, I am. So I knew going into this that and we also have very similar feelings on the first film. For the most part, I know you dislike it more so. Um, but. The next movie that we're covering, Friday the 13th Part 2, is one that I know we have drastically different opinions on because, I mean, and it, it could change when I rewatch it for this series, but it is maybe my second favorite in the franchise. So. I feel, well, I, I think we'll, I'm going to try to, I'll save most of this for the next episode, but I would say this. I have seen, uh, somewhat recently, I would say in the last, decade or half decade that movie gets uh, a, a very very big reappraisal from the community um which is super interesting to me because it means that i'm living long enough to see sort of like opinions change in drastic ways in movies that sort of i thought the i thought were settled um it's very it's an interesting thing i'd like to discuss sort of as the series goes along but that very specifically the number two has gone through, I think, the biggest change in public opinion that I could remember um, for a major horror series outside of maybe uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think part five has also seen a bit of a resurgence, so I think it'll be fun to be able to talk about these. But, but yeah, I think we've pretty much covered it. So make sure that you are liking everything that you can on whether it is spotify apple podcasts wherever you are listening to this podcast or even on youtube itself make sure that you are thumbs upping just uh subscribing making sure that you uh spread the word to other people that like friday the 13th because here on needlessly nostalgic we will be covering the entire friday the 13th series from part one all the way until the wonderful remake which we both love hopefully by the time we finish there will be more information out about the brian fuller a24 show so that we can talk about that a little bit when we do our ranking episode but otherwise i'm just really looking forward to going through the series so lance thank you so much for joining and we will uh, see you guys in the next episode on next uh, week yeah, that's really all. Take it easy.